When they argued, as you can imagine, their kids got into the act too, screaming at each other and fighting. Neighbor out cleaning his car was really just as glad to be out cleaning his car rather than in that house. He thought to himself, if that was what going to church and believing in God did to families, he didn't want any part of it. <clears throat> he wasn't greatly surprised over the course of years <clears throat> when he found out some other things about that man and his family that were dishonest and disgraceful. From what he learned any day now, he thought to himself and talked with his wife and expected a visit from the law. He just laughed. And he wondered if his neighbor would still try to keep him from swearing using Jesus' name. My question for you, which man and which family broke the third commandment? Which man and which family broke the third commandment? As we've seen from the story of the two neighbors, disrespect for the name of the Lord can arise from differing causes. <clears throat> but before we go further into this, recognize the truth of the significance of the name of the Lord. We're told in our passage, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, is the name of the Lord merely a connection of letters? Is Lord all there is to it? Is Jesus all there is to it? Is Christ all there is to it? Is God all there is to it? No. <clears throat> a name does not just mean letters put together, a word by which we refer to the God of the universe. We can see throughout Scripture that God has given himself different names by which his people are to call him. Different names meaning specific different things about his character. And so we see through this that a name, the name of God, is not what we call a name. In our day and age, names... Um, if you name a child something, you may have a, a person that you're thinking of. But rarely ever do we do what they did in the Old Testament. And you'll find some seven-syllable names given in the Old Testament because God told some prophet to name his child a specific name which meant a specific thing. So we know from this, and we know from this passage, that the name is the essence of the person. The name of the Lord signifies the person of the Lord. And so to show disrespect to the name of the Lord, or to dishonor the name of the Lord, or to misuse the name of the Lord, does not just mean throwing around a few letters and syllables. What is specifically being referred to in this passage is everything surrounded the person of God. A close examination of this commandment will reveal that there is much more involved in taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, as we go through the Ten Commandments, you'll realize that frequently I use the King James Version phraseology, and that's the way I've been using it with you. But the passage here in the New International Version says, you shall not, mus you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And we see in looking at this passage that <clears throat> there's much more involved in taking the name of the Lord in vain than what we might think of immediately. We know that taking the Lord's name in vain is speaking of speech, speech, right? Wickedness of the tongue. Which, as we looked several months ago at the book of James, over a period of months, we saw that the tongue is one of the parts of the body that gets us into the most trouble. We all know it from personal experience. 
we tend to think, as Neil and I were discussing this morning, that taking the name of the Lord in vain means to <clears throat> say, oh, Lord, or, you know, Jesus Christ, or something like that, in a situation where we are not speaking seriously about the Lord, but are just doing it because we, that's the word we fit in the slot when we um, <clears throat> come up with a blank. <clears throat> it does involve that. But it involves much more than that. So what are the reasons for taking the name of the Lord in vain? Well, the first reason we see from the first man in the illustration. People take the name of the Lord in vain because of hatred for the person of God. Now you think to yourself, well, how many people hate Jesus Christ? How many people hate God? There's not all that many atheists around. But you and I need to remember that the example that we are given in Scripture is that any failure to trust in Christ as your Savior is not neutral ground. It's hatred. Everybody starts out in hatred of God. That is what sin is all about. It's blatant rebellion against the God who made us. And so there is no middle ground. There is no point at which you're halfway liking Jesus Christ and and halfway not liking him, there is either love for him or hatred for him. So that's the sense in which I use this word hatred. <clears throat> Misuse of the name of the Lord arises out of hatred, in which Christ is dishonored by those who claim no relation to him. The first man was honest. He hated God, so he used Jesus' name in his cursing in a frequent way, any old which way, any way he pleased. He was consistent. <clears throat> Christ was dishonored by this man and is dishonored by those who claim no relation to him, relationship to him. <clears throat> now we have to realize that as we're considering, considering this issue, which is much broader than what we speak with our tongues, that to refuse to honor Jesus Christ as our Lord is in itself dishonoring and disrespecting, disrespectful towards him. What happens when we're parents? When we're parents, we expect our children to listen to us, to do as we say, to honor us, because of the relationship that we hold with regard to them. The Lord God holds that relationship to all people. Those who are in rebellion against him through hatred are automatically, right off the bat, starting off <clears throat> misusing the name of the Lord their God because they are dishonoring him by not acknowledging him as the Lord of the universe and their Savior. But there is more than just refusing to honor him. Frequently, those who hate him go further in mocking him and his people. And this also dishonors his name. This is more what we would think of when we think of people who, are, who hate the Lord and thereby dishonor him and his name. An example from scripture is Goliath. Do you remember what Goliath went out every day saying before David came onto the scene? Come on, you Israelites, why don't you come out and fight? Is your God not strong enough to save you? I'll kill you and feed you to the carrion. That's what he said to David as well. And David's response to him was this. <clears throat> because I serve the living God, and because you have dishonored him in his name and his people, you will be the one who will die today. Now, Goliath is an example, an 
old-time history example, but we have many examples of that that we can think of in our own lives and own circumstances in which people mock God and mock his people. That is dishonoring to the Lord. Now we find an example which perhaps for us who are in church on a Sunday morning strikes a little closer to home for why people take the name of the Lord in vain. And I've fitted in under the category of hypocrisy. This is the second of three things I've divided it into. Hypocrisy. This is that time, these are those circumstances and situations in which Christ is, is dishonored by those who claim a relationship to him or who are supposed to be related to him. <clears throat> in other words, if you're supposed to be related to Christ, then you certainly do not want to misuse his name or dishonor him. And so, claiming a relationship, any dishonoring of God, has to be hypocrisy. Because your actions or words are not in keeping with your other words. <clears throat> James one twenty six says this, If anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. There is a different standard for those who consider themselves, as this passage refers to it, religious. The conviction and sentencings of, excuse me, of Webster Hubble, former law partner of Mrs. Hillary Clinton, who was also second in command in the Department of Justice in months past, has been in the news recently. He was accused and he pled guilty to overbilling at the Rose Law Firm in Little Rock, Arkansas. He did so to the tune of almost a half million dollars. In the sentencing phase... Webster Hubble and his attorney and his character witnesses were supposed to present evidence that would cause the judge to not grant him the mandatory, the, the, the national or the state mandated sentence, which is 24 months in prison and whatever fine goes on top of it. I'm not sure if that's mandated as well. And so various and sundry character witnesses came forward to indicate that this man was a step above the ordinary and it would, be a, it, would be a, it would be a tragedy for the community not to have him in the community for that period of time. And for these reasons, an exclusion should be made. In the Washington Times, it indicated that Webster Hubble's attorney and witnesses testified to his having been active in his church as a Sunday school teacher. The judge, having heard this evidence sentenced him to the mandated sentence. And the judge in sentencing him said to Mr. Hubble, quoting scripture, which is interesting, everyone to whom much is given of him will much be required. And so we see that frequently people who claim to be related to Jesus Christ are involved in dishonoring him, in living in ways which are not in keeping with his standards, the standards that we claim to be following as his people. Now this disrespect for the Lord among those who consider themselves to be religious causes the nations, as it's said in scripture, to disrespect the Lord because his people do not consider him worthy of honor. It goes like this. If God's people, the people who claim to trust in him, the churchgoers, whatever you want to call, call him, do not feel that he is worthy of respect and honor, then why should I? I don't go to church. I don't do any of those things. If, he, if he's not serious enough to get them 
to get their acts together and to get in line and to do what they're supposed to do. Why should I? Ezekiel 36.23 says this, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. In other words, my name has been dragged in the mud among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. God is speaking to his people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Romans 2.23 says this, You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Why? Because of you. So this is the serious charge that comes when hypocrisy is involved, which those who claim to be religious or are religious are involved in dishonoring God's name. This is the reason given by many unbelievers is their chief reason for unbelief. I know lots of Christians and not a one of them does what they claim they're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not getting into whether or not that's a red herring. Many times people use that as simply an excuse. And they may know many godly Christians, but all they can think about are the Christians that they know the people who claim to be Christians who are not godly Christians. However, it is true that the hypocrisy of people who claim to be Christians is frequently a cause for disrespect among the world. <coughs> like the man in the beginning illustration who lived next door to the family <coughs> who were churchgoers but lived no differently. <coughs> he looked next door. He saw what was going on. He looked at his own life and saw what was going on and he said to himself, They're supposed to be different. They say they're different. They go to church. But I don't notice any difference. So why should I live any different? Why should I honor their Lord? There's no reason for it. Now there's further reasons or further situations in which people involved in hypocrisy dishonor the Lord's name. And it's by using the position of religiosity to put down true religion. I couldn't think of a better way to put it. Using the position of religiosity. In other words, I'm a religious expert. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. You're a Christian. You're involved in church. You go to church every Sunday. You're, well, I mean, that gives us certain credibility, right? We, we know about religiosity. I've done this and that in the church, and, and, and I'm in a position to make a statement about these sorts of things. Now, before we go any further on this in, in explaining what's involved, let me point you to the parallel in Scripture, which is the New Testament and the Pharisees. What the Pharisees did in this way, and maybe this will help you understand where I'm heading, is the Pharisees said about Jesus, you're acting by the power of the devil. In other words, we are religious leaders. We have all of this religious experience, this weight of knowledge, and we are defining you as power-motivated, guided by the devil. So this is what I'm referring to as using a position of religiosity to put down true religion. In other words, what it involves is showing disrespect for the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we practice this element of sin? How do we practice dishonoring the Lord in this way? I speak for myself and I speak for us. We analyze and we criticize ministries of God's people. 
and ministers in God's work. Now, understand ministers does not mean what people have taken it to mean, the fellow who stands up front. God has called each one of us ministers in his kingdom. We analyze and we criticize these ministries of God's people, teachers, those who show hospitality, preachers, administrators, anyone doing work which honors the Lord and is faithful to his word. Because, why do we do this? Why do we feel free to do this? How do we feel like we are in authority to do it? Because we don't like the style of the people doing the ministry. We don't like the way they do it. We don't like the time in which they choose to do it. We don't like the people that they're ministering to. Sometimes it may be as elemental and basis. We don't like their clothes. We thereby put ourselves... in the position of God's analysts. When, however, we are not speaking his analysis or analyzing according to his principles. And in so doing, we place ourselves in the same position as the Pharisees were in. This is dishonoring to the Lord. Because it is saying that the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is actually not him at all. It's something base. It's human desire. Or it comes from the devil. We look at what the Pharisees did. They didn't like the way Jesus ministered. They didn't like what he said. They spoke out against the people to whom he ministered. They would rather he had ministered to them and to their friends rather than to the low, down and out, dirty people. They didn't like him healing on a particular day. They didn't like his healing on the Sabbath. It didn't fit in. They didn't like the way his humility put their pride to shame the style of his ministry. And we look at the way in which they treated John the Baptist and we see his clothing was different. Doubtless, they complained about John the Baptist's clothing. And so this is some, these are some of the things that are involved in hypocrisy and dishonoring the Lord. We move to the last one, which is carelessness and thought, thoughtlessness. Carelessness and thoughtlessness. And this may be indulged in by those who trust in God claim to trust in God, but don't, do not claim to trust in God in any way, shape, or form. What it involves is a failure to treat the things of the Lord as holy, not recognizing holy ground. And in thinking about this, I realize that parents have a grave responsibility in regard to this. I've oftentimes said that my father, back in in the days when we were growing up, he was not a great fan of the former president Richard Nixon's. And so we would often discuss what was going on surrounding Watergate and all these sorts of things. He's very careful to make sure we always said President Nixon. Never Dick, Tricky Dick, I mean just these little titles. These are the sorts of things by which you uh, get into the habit of becoming overly familiar with someone who deserves honor even if they are doing the wrong things. And by getting into the habit of familiarity, you despise the person. And so through carelessness and thoughtlessness, people can fail to recognize holy ground. Parents have this responsibility before their children to honor the things of the Lord, to make sure their children honor the things of the Lord, not to speak about the things that are holy as though they could be things that you can joke about with great freedom and abandon. This doesn't mean throwing out your sense of humor. 
it means curbing your sense of humor so your sense of humor does not become inappropriate. And trample all over the ground that's holy ground without with your sandals on, with your clodhoppers on, laughing at those things that God honors in His Word. And laughing and making comments and snide remarks about those things that God has indicated are His methods of touching people's hearts and touching people's lives. We have to be extremely cautious about these things. What is a biblical example of this? Uh... Think about, for instance, Samuel. When the people of Israel said to him, We want a king. All the other lands want to have a king. We want a king too. We're not satisfied with you any longer. Now Samuel was the man that God was using as a prophet before the people. And so Samuel went to the Lord and he said, Lord, this is frustrating. These people, they don't have any more respect for me. They want to get rid of me. And the Lord said to him, hold it. Now, I think this is where you and I need to catch on. I'm putting in parentheses in here. We need to catch on how the Lord viewed this. Because this is insight into his way. He said to Samuel, hold it. They're not showing disrespect for you, Samuel. Now they said, get out of the way. We want a king. We don't want a prophet anymore. We don't want a judge. We want a king. The Lord said, hold it. They're not disrespecting you. They're saying... I'm no longer good enough as their king. (laughs) They are telling me to get out of their way. And as a result, grave difficulties and sadness will be brought into their lives, but I will give them what they want. (coughs) And so you and I need to remember this when we feel free to trample on holy ground. What else is involved in thoughtlessness, covenant-breaking, failures to honor vows? Matthew 5.33, Christ says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. And the Lord goes on to tell the people, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Our weddings, for instance, are performed under oath, as well as various other ceremonies of our lives. Dedication or baptism of our children, our own baptisms, our undertaking the commitments of membership in a local church, our witnessing in court cases. These phrases pop up in all these circumstances. We are gathered together before God and these witnesses to unite this man and this woman in marriage. Familiar? Yes. Do you promise to raise this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Is that familiar? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Any breaking of these vows or other promises has the effect of dishonoring the Lord because He has been called in as a witness of these promises. Further, mindless repetition. We think of the prayers in the Middle East and they have these prayer wheels and they go around and around and around and around. Every time they flip around, they're whipping off another prayer. These are examples of mindless repetition. God does not want mindless babbling of his name or foolish chattering in conversation with him. Matthew 6 verse 7 says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How do we dishonor the Lord by mindless repetition? A thought. If your child comes to you and says, Daddy, do this, Daddy, do this, Daddy, do this, Daddy, do this, Daddy, do this. Hold it. Do you think I'm deaf? Is there a problem here? 
Do you think I have, I'm deaf or haven't made up my mind? Or I'm so stupid I couldn't understand you when you asked the first time? Do you think I don't know what you need? Is treating God as though he were stupid or deaf or something that is beneath his dignity. <laughs> Our passage tells us <clears throat> that we will reap the punishment of disrespect. It says that explicitly the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's the warning that comes throughout the Ten Commandments. Do not think you can get away with this. But don't just think that it's a situation where I can't get away with it, but so-and-so does. This may be our danger. We're worried to make sure so-and-so does not dishonor the Lord's name. God's capable of handling that, isn't he? Yeah. We need to worry about our honoring the Lord. And so how do we honor the name of the Lord? By first and foremost, faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot begin honoring the name of the Lord Jesus Christ unless you have trusted in, in him as your Savior. The two do not coincide. Until you have trusted in Christ, that is the beginning and basis of honoring Him and His name. How else? By desiring His glory. Christ said in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, say this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to pray and to think and desire God's glory. Even when the circumstances are things we don't like. Romans 8, 29, 28, and 29 is quoted all the time. God works all things together for those who trust in Him. It's a paraphrase. <laughs> Recall it according to His purpose. In other words, if you desire God's glory, you are honoring Him. But you stop honoring Him when you say, God, I don't like that. I want it my way. That does not fit in with the plan I had set up. How else do we honor him? By acting for his glory, which is obedience to his word. This is where we put an end to hypocrisy. Where we follow out what he says, where we believe his promises and take him at his word and walk in faith. That is honoring God. We, we constantly go over this in our home. Um, it, it started more last year when with Cassie and Sarah but this is one of those things with children regardless of who your children are or whatever it's you do this I can't go into all the reasons now why you need to do this at this point in time and why you have to do this specific thing but do it but daddy but daddy be quiet and do it a little bit later the child turns around and says oh that's why you wanted me to do that. That's right. And you have to give me credit for knowing a little bit more than you do. That's what God is saying to us. Faith is based upon the premise, I know everything, you know nothing or next to nothing. <clears throat> we must watch how we speak of God and of His work. We must show respect. This means no idle chattering. This means... Our criticism should be biblically based and not an overwhelming passion of our lives. This means that we should not be using those... What was that word? (laughs) Say it again? That Neil calls them minced epithets. uh, In which you say God, but you're not saying God because you don't want to take the name of the Lord in vain. So you say, Galdarn, or something along those lines. 
Those are just shorthand ways for us who are believers to get away with doing the same thing. We must keep our promises and we must use our influence for his glory. And we must see whether we're parents or bosses or whatever. That when we are in charge, the atmosphere of our home, our school, our workplace, our church reflects the honor of God. This means being bold. It means doing things that we wouldn't normally or frequently do. But we have to be bold to do it because God desires his name to be honored. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would teach us these lessons clearly. Teach us wisdom in honoring your name. That we might grow in love for you and obedience to you. And that our neighbors and family members might see us and see that, that we honor you. That you are worthy of honor. Teach us how to honor you. Cause our honor to be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.